0: Chapter Nine of Is He Popenjoy? This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Barry O'Neill. Is He Popenjoy? By Anthony Trollope. Chapter Nine. Mrs. Houghton lady sarah who was generally regarded as the arbiter of the very slender hospitalities exercised at manor cross was not at all well pleased at being forced to entertain mrs houghton whom she especially disliked but circumstances as they were there was no alternative she had been put to bed with a dislocated arm and had already suffered much in having it reduced before the matter could even be discussed and then it was of course felt that she could not be turned out of the house she was not only generally hurt but she was a cousin also we must ask him mamma lady sarah said the marchioness whined piteously mr houghton's name had always been held in great displeasure by the ladies at manor cross i don't think we can help it mr sawyer mr sawyer was the clever young surgeon from brotherton mr sawyer says that she ought not to be removed for at any rate a week the marchioness groaned but the evil became less than had been anticipated by Mr. Houghton's refusal. At first he seemed inclined to stay, but after he had seen his wife he declared that, as there was no danger, he would not intrude upon Lady Brotherton, but would, if permitted, ride over and see how his wife was progressing on the morrow. That is a relief, said Lady Sarah to her mother, and yet Lady Sarah had been almost urgent in assuring Mr. Houghton that they would be delighted to have him in spite of her suffering which must have been real and her fainting which had partly been so mrs houghton had had force enough to tell her husband that he would himself be inexpressibly bored by remaining at manor cross and that his presence would inexpressibly bore all those dowdy old women as she called the ladies of the house besides what's the use she said i've got to lay here for a certain time you would not be any good at nursing you'd only kill yourself with ennui I shall do well enough, and do you go on with your hunting. He had assented, but finding her to be well enough to express her opinion as to the desirability of his absence strongly, thought that she was well enough also to be rebuked for her late disobedience. Oh, Geoffrey, are you going to scold me, she said, while I am in such a state as this? And then again she almost fainted. He knew that he was being ill treated, but knowing also that he could not avoid it, he went away without a further word. But she was quite cheerful that evening when Lady George came to give her her dinner. She had begged that it might be so. She had known Dear Mary so long, and was so warmly attached to her. Dear Mary did not dislike the occupation which was soon found to comprise that of being head-nurse to the invalid. She had never especially loved Adelaide de Baron and had felt that there was something amiss in her conversation when they had met at the deanery. But she was brighter than the ladies at Manor Cross was affectionate in her manner, and was, at any rate, young. There was an antiquity about everything at Manor Cross which was already crushing the spirit of the young bride. "'Dear me, this is nice,' said Mrs. Houghton, disregarding, apparently altogether, the pain of her shoulder. "'I declare I shall begin to be glad of the accident.' "'You shouldn't say that.' why not if i feel it doesn't it seem like a thing in a story that i should be brought to lord george's house and that he was my lover only quite the other day the idea had never occurred to mary and now that it was suggested to her she did not like it i wonder when he'll come and see me it would not make you jealous i hope certainly not no indeed i think he's quite as much in love with you as he ever was with me and yet He was very very fond of me once isn't it odd that men should change so i suppose you are changed too said mary hardly knowing what to say well yes no i don't know that i'm changed at all i never told lord george that i loved him and what's more i never told mr houghton so i don't pretend to be very virtuous and of course i married for an income i like him very well and i always mean to be good to him that is if he lets me have my own way i'm not going to be scolded and he need not think so you oughtn't to have gone on to-day ought you why not if my horse hadn't gone so very quick and mr price at that moment hadn't gone so very slow i shouldn't have come to grief and nobody would have known anything about it wouldn't you like to ride yes i should like it but are you not exerting yourself too much I should die if I were made to lie here without speaking to any one. Just put the pillow a little under me. Now I'm all right. Who do you think was going as well as anybody yesterday? I saw him." "'Who was it?' "'Who was it?' "'The very Reverend, the Dean of Brotherton, my dear.' "'No.' "'But he was. I saw him jump the brook just before I fell into it. What will Mr. Grochet say?' I don't think papa cares much what Mr. Groschet says. And the bishop. I'm not sure that he cares very much for the bishop, either, but I am quite sure that he would not do anything that he thought to be wrong. A dean never does, I suppose. My papa never does. Nor Lord George, I dare say," said Mrs. Houghton. I didn't say anything about Lord George. I haven't known him quite so long. "'If you won't speak up for him, I will. I'm quite sure Lord George Germain never in his life did anything that he ought not to do. That's his fault. Don't you like men who do what they ought not to do?' "'No,' said Mary, "'I don't. Everybody always ought to do what they ought to do, and you ought to go to sleep, and so I shall go away.' She knew that it was not all right, that there was something fast and also something vulgar about this self-appointed friend of hers, but though Mrs. Houghton was fast, and though she was vulgar, she was a relief to the endless gloom of Manor Cross. On the next day Mr. Houghton came, explaining to everybody that he had given up his morning's hunting for the sake of his wife. But he could say but little, and could do nothing, and he did not remain long. "Don't stay away from the meet another day," his wife said to him; "I shan't get well any the sooner, and I don't like being a drag on you." Then the husband went away, and did not come back for the next two days. On the Sunday he came over in the afternoon and stayed for half an hour, and on the following Tuesday he appeared on his way to the meet, in top boots and a red coat. He was, upon the whole, less troublesome to the Manor Cross people than might have been expected mr price came every morning to inquire and very gracious passages passed between him and the lady on the saturday she was up sitting on a sofa in a dressing-gown and he was brought in to see her it was all my fault mr price she said immediately i heard what mr houghton said to you i couldn't speak then but i was so sorry what a husband says ma'am at such a time goes for nothing what husbands say mr price very often does go for nothing he turned his hat in his hand and smiled if it had not been so all this wouldn't have happened and i shouldn't have upset you into the water but all the same i hope you'll give me a lead another day and i'll take great care not to come so close to you again this pleased mr price so much that as he went home he swore to himself that if she ever asked him again he would do just the same as he had done on the day of the accident when price the farmer had seen her of course it became lord george's duty to pay her his compliments in person at first he visited her in company with his wife and lady sarah and the conversation was very stiff lady sarah was potent enough to quell even mrs houghton but later in the afternoon lord george came back again his wife being in the room and then there was a little more ease you can't think how it grieves me she said to bring all this trouble upon you she emphasised the word you as though to show him that she cared nothing for his mother and sisters it is no trouble to me said lord george bowing low i should say that it was a pleasure were it not that your presence here is attended with so much pain to yourself the pain is nothing said mrs houghton i have hardly thought of it it is much more than compensated by the renewal of my intimacy with lady george germain this she said with her very prettiest manner and he told himself that she was indeed very pretty lady george or mary as we will still call her for simplicity in spite of her promotion had become somewhat afraid of mrs houghton but now seeing her husband's courtesy to her guest understanding from his manner that he liked her society began to thaw and to think that she might allow herself to be intimate with the woman it did not occur to her to be in any degree jealous not at least as yet in her innocence she did not think it possible that her husband's heart should be untrue to her nor did it occur to her that such a one as mrs houghton could be preferred to herself she thought that she knew herself to be better than mrs houghton and she certainly thought herself to be the better-looking of the two mrs houghton's beauty such as it was depended mainly on style on a certain dash and manner which she had acquired and which to another woman were not attractive Mary knew that she herself was beautiful. She could not but know it. She had been brought up by all belonging to her with that belief, and so believing had taught herself to acknowledge that no credit was due to herself on that score. Her beauty now belonged entirely to her husband. There was nothing more to be done with it except to maintain her husband's love, and that for the present she did not in the least doubt she had heard of married men falling in love with other people's wives but she did not in the least bring home the fact to her own case in the course of the afternoon all the ladies of the family sat for a time with their guest first came lady sarah and lady susanna mrs houghton who saw very well how the land lay rather snubbed lady sarah she had nothing to fear from the dragon of the family lady sarah in spite of their cousinship had called her mrs houghton and mrs houghton in return called the other lady sarah there was to be no intimacy and she was only received there because of her dislocated shoulder let it be so lord george and his wife were coming up to town and the intimacy should be there she certainly would not wish to repeat her visit to manor cross some ladies do like hunting and some don't she said in answer to a severe remark from lady sarah i am one of those who do and I don't think an accident like that has anything to do with it." "'I can't say I think it an amusement fit for ladies,' said Lady Sarah. "'I suppose ladies may do what clergymen do. The dean jumped over the brook just before me.' There was not much of an argument in this, but Mrs. Houghton knew that it would vex Lady Sarah because of the alliance between the dean and the Manor Cross family. "'She's a detestable young woman,' Lady Sarah said to her mother and i can only hope that mary won't see much of her up in town i don't see how she can after what there's been between her and george said the innocent old lady in spite however of this strongly expressed opinion the old lady made her visit taking lady amelia with her i hope my dear friend you find yourself getting better so much better lady brotherton but i am so sorry to have given you all this trouble but it has been very pleasant to me to be here and to see lord george and mary together i declare i think hers is the sweetest face i have ever looked upon and she is so much improved that's what perfect happiness does i do so like her we love her very dearly said the marchioness i am sure you do and he is so proud of her lady sarah had said that the woman was detestable and therefore the marchioness felt that she ought to detest her but had it not been for lady sarah she would have been rather pleased with her guest than otherwise she did not remain very long but promised she would return on the next day on the following morning mr houghton came again staying only a few minutes and while he was in his wife's sitting-room both lord george and mary found them as they were all leaving her together she contrived to say a word to her old lover don't desert me all the morning come and talk to me a bit i am well now though they won't let me move about in obedience to the summons he returned to her when his wife was called upon to attend to the ordinary cloak and petticoat conclave of the other ladies in regard to these charitable meetings she had partly carried her own way she had so far thrown off authority as to make it understood that she was not to be bound by the rules which her sisters-in-law had laid down for their own guidance but her rebellion had not been complete and she still gave them a certain number of weekly stitches lord george had said nothing of his purpose but for a full hour before luncheon he was alone with mrs houghton if a gentleman may call on a lady in her house surely he may without scandal pay her a visit in his own that a married man should chat for an hour with another man's wife in a country house is not much where is the man and where the woman who has not done that quite as a matter of course and yet when lord george knocked at the door there was a feeling on him that he was doing something in which he would not wish to be detected this is so good of you she said do sit down and don't run away your mother and sisters have been here so nice of them you know but everybody treats me as though i oughtn't to open my mouth for above five minutes at a time i feel as though i should like to jump the brook again pray don't do that well no not quite yet you don't like hunting i'm afraid the truth is said lord george that i've never been able to afford to keep horses ah that's a reason mr houghton of course is a rich man but i don't know anything so little satisfactory in itself as being rich it is comfortable oh yes it is comfortable but so unsatisfactory of course mr houghton can keep any number of horses but what's the use when he never rides to hounds better not to have them at all i think i'm very fond of hunting myself i dare say i should have liked it had it come in my way early in life You speak of yourself as if you were a hundred years old. I know your age exactly. You are just seventeen years younger than Mr. Houghton." To this Lord George had no reply to make. Of course he had felt that when Miss de Baron had married Mr. Houghton she had married quite an old man. I wonder whether you were much surprised when you heard that I was engaged to Mr. Houghton. I was, rather. Because he is so old? No, not that altogether. I was surprised myself, and I knew that you would be. But what was I to do?" "'I think you have been very wise,' said Lord George. "'Yes, but you think I have been heartless. I can see it in your eyes and hear it in your voice. Perhaps I was heartless. But then I was bound to be wise. A man may have a profession before him, he may do anything, but what has a girl to think of? You say that money is comfortable.' "'Certainly it is.' How is she to get it, if she has not got it of her own, like dear Mary? You do not think that I have blamed you. But even though you have not, yet I must excuse myself to you," she said with energy, bending forward from her sofa towards him. Do you think that I do not know the difference? What difference? Ah, you shouldn't ask. I may hint at it, but you shouldn't ask. But it wouldn't have done, would it? lord george hardly understood what it was that wouldn't have done but he knew that a reference was being made to his former love by the girl he had loved and upon the whole he rather liked it the flattery of such intrigues is generally pleasant to men even when they cannot bring their minds about quick enough to understand all the little ins and outs of the woman's manoeuvres it is my very nature to be extravagant papa has brought me up like that And yet I had nothing that I could call my own. I had no right to marry any one but a rich man. You said just now you couldn't afford to hunt. I never could. And I couldn't afford to have a heart. You said just now, too, that money is very comfortable. There was a time when I should have found it very, very comfortable to have had a fortune of my own. You have plenty now. She wasn't angry with him because she had already found out that it is the nature of men to be slow and she wasn't angry with him again because though he was slow yet also he was evidently gratified yes she said i have plenty now i have secured so much i couldn't have done without a large income but a large income doesn't make me happy it's like eating and drinking one has to eat and drink but yet one doesn't care very much about it perhaps you don't regret hunting very much "'Yes, I do, because it enables a man to know his neighbours. "'I know that I regret the thing I couldn't afford.' Then a glimmer of what she meant did come across him, and he blushed. "'Things will not always turn out as they are wanted, he said. Then his conscience upbraided him, and he corrected himself. "'But God knows that I have no reason to complain. "'I have been fortunate.' "'Yes, indeed.' i sometimes think it is better to remember the good things we have than to regret those that are gone that is excellent philosophy lord george and therefore i go out hunting and break my bones and fall into rivers and ride about with such men as mr price one has to make the best of it hasn't one but you i see have no regrets he paused for a moment and then found himself driven to make some attempt at gallantry I didn't quite say that, he replied. You were able to re-establish yourself according to your own tastes. A man can always do so. I was obliged to take whatever came. I think that Mary is so nice. I think so, too, I can assure you. You have been very fortunate to find such a girl. So innocent, so pure, so pretty, and with a fortune, too. I wonder how much difference it would have made in your happiness if you had seen her before we had ever been acquainted. I suppose we should never have known each other then." "'Who can say?' "'No, no one can say. For myself I own that I like it better as it is. I have something to remember that I can be proud of.' "'And I something to be ashamed of.' "'To be ashamed of,' she said, almost rising in anger. "'That you should have refused me she got it at last she had made her fish rise to the fly oh no she said there can be nothing of that if i did not tell you plainly then i tell you plainly now i should have done very wrong to marry a poor man i ought not to have asked you i don't know how that may be she said in a very low voice looking down to the ground some say that if a man loves he should declare his love let the circumstances be what they may i rather think that i agree with them You at any rate knew that I felt greatly honoured, though the honour was out of my reach. Then there was a pause, during which she could find nothing to say. He was trapped by her flattery, but he did not wish to betray his wife by making love to the woman. He liked her words and her manner, but he was aware that she was a thing sacred as being another man's wife. But it is all better as it is, she said with a laugh and mary lovelace is the happiest girl of her year i am so glad you are coming to london and do so hope you'll come and see me certainly i will i mean to be such friends with mary there is no woman i like so much and then circumstances have thrown us together haven't they and if she and i are friends real friends i shall feel that our relationship may be continued yours and mine i don't mean that all this accident shall go for nothing I wasn't quite clever enough to contrive it, but I am very glad of it, because it has brought us once more together, so that we may understand each other. Good-bye, Lord George. Don't let me keep you any longer. I wouldn't have Mary jealous, you know." "'I don't think there is the least fear of that,' he said, in real displeasure. "'Don't take me up seriously for my little joke,' she said as she had put out her left hand. He took it, and once more smiled, and then left her when she was alone there came a feeling on her that she had gone through some hard work with only moderate success and also a feeling that the game was hardly worth the candle she was not in the least in love with the man or capable of being in love with any man in a certain degree she was jealous and she felt that she owed mary lovelace a turn for having so speedily won her own rejected lover but her jealousy was not strong enough for absolute malice She had formed no plot against the happiness of the husband and wife when she came into the house, but the plot made itself, and she liked the excitement. He was heavy, certainly heavy, but he was very handsome, and a lord, and then, too, it was much in her favour that he certainly had once loved her dearly. Lord George, as he sat down to lunch, felt himself to be almost guilty and hardly did more than creep into the room where his wife and sisters were seated. "'Have you been with Mrs. Houghton?' asked Lady Sarah in a firm voice. "'Yes, I have been sitting with her for the last half-hour,' he replied, but he couldn't answer the question without hesitation in his manner. Mary, however, thought nothing about it. End of chapter 9